Hi there, welcome to the Raising Cinephiles podcast, a show about passing on your love of cinema to the next generation. I'm your host, Jessica Cantor, and I have worked in all facets of the entertainment industry for the last 20 years, and recently became a mom. This week we have an incredible guest, Nicole Eggert. She's an iconic actress, having been on Charles in Charge, and then Baywatch, and she's really been working since she was quite young. Now she's producing and creating some incredible work, which we'll learn about. She also has a podcast called Perfectly Twisted, which I highly recommend you check out. A link will be in the show notes. And we learn about how her younger daughter, who is around 11, is watching the same content that her older daughter, now in her mid-20s, was watching when she was that age. There's an interesting symmetry in what they both enjoy. Finally, I apologize for doing this recording with laryngitis, but I wanted to respect Nicole's schedule and, you know, having a toddler in daycare, I'm sure you'll hear me have the sniffles a few more times. Always remember that myself and guests are speaking from experience and not giving parenting advice. Let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Hi, this is Jessica Cantor and welcome you back to the Raising Cinephiles podcast. Today, I am here with Nicole Egger, who is the prolific actress. She was working since she was quite young, rose to icon status, and has recently launched an incredible podcast called Perfectly Twisted. Thank you so much for joining me, Nicole. Thank you. And I don't sound half as sexy as you. <laughs> I'm, I'm envious. I guess we should all go outside and scream or scream into our pillow before we do a podcast. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> well, thank you for the lovely intro. That's very oh, kind. Thank you. Yes, I'm very new to this podcasting world. It's so fun. It's, I didn't know it was so fun. It's, it's so fun. fun. So I'm having such a good time. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. I'm going to kick us off with my first question. What is your first memory seeing a movie? Okay. Well, I'm older. So my first memory is my dad in his pickup truck and we going to a drive-in. And seeing like Star Wars and Greece, and I was living in Huntington Beach. I was born up here in LA, but then my parents built a home, and we lived in Huntington Beach for quite a while. And there was drive-ins, like that was the thing. He had this big pickup truck, and the windows opened, so you could hear all the sound. And we'd put blankets down and pillows down, and lay in the back of the pickup and watch drive-ins. That's awesome. And a pickup truck is like perfect for the drive-in. It really is. I know. Um, really, really lucky. Those kind of things just don't happen today, right? Like I can't put my kid in a pickup and go to a drive-in. That'd be so weird. But it was so amazing back then and so nostalgic. And you're too young to even know what this is about, but you would pay per person. And then all these people would hide in the car and then they'd all jump out. And it was just such a fun time in movie. That's so nice. And how old do you think you were seeing Star Wars in Greece? I was young. I was, I was little. And I didn't love Star Wars. I've never watched another episode. Grease, lifetime fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I loved Grease growing up. And, you know, drive-ins did make a resurgence during the pandemic. Yes. I went to a couple. And you know what else, which I really, really still want to do, is they have the on water. Have you seen where they, they, like, park little boats? You have, like, two two to four-person boats, and then you go watch it in front of a big screen. Oh, that's... As long as you don't get eaten by mosquitoes, because I personally don't, luckily. Um, I mean, what a fun That's time. so nice. Like, I love watching a movie in a yeah. pool. Like, I love being on a raft, watching a movie outdoors on a pool. Like, those are – that's some of my favorite things. Yeah, it's, like, social but intimate at the same time. 
Yeah. And in mm-hmm. nature and not, yeah. you know, it's like technology and nature meeting each other perfectly. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I, I love it. outdoor cinema in general. I think it's so fun. You know what I went to that was super fun is I went to the Clueless premiere and it was on the beach in Malibu, which I happened to be living in Malibu at the time. Otherwise, I would have never made the drive. And wow, it was like before it's time and there were couches and chairs and everybody was there. And it was like Clueless was such a good movie and who knew it was going to be so good. I am. And it was so good. And it was on the beach. And we were just like, yes. That's awesome. Yes. I saw Clueless came out when I was in high school. And so I saw it in theaters and I I believe I went with my friends on our own to see that. And it was just, I like spoke to me. I mean, it's still one of my favorite films. I was a little bit old for it, but I fully appreciated it. And yes, it's funny that you say that because all of my other movie experiences were my were parents dropping us off. It was like, who's going to drive us and who's going to drop us off at Edward Cinema in Costa Mesa? And that was like our place. And it was like this outdoor mall. And that was our weekend. It was like a huge night and we would all get dropped off and go see movies by ourselves, which unfortunately, I don't think you can do that with kids no, these days. And that's like one of the reasons why I started this podcast actually is because I don't think kids actually even want to go by themselves, let alone like, you know, and that the content isn't there for them the way it was for us. There was appropriate films right. for us to go with our friends on the weekends, that wasn't just like the Marvel canon, you know? Yes. No, you're right. You're 100% right. So I grew up on like John Hughes yes. films. John, So 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club, all of that was like my jam. That was it. We were going to see that. We would reenact it for days, which is so inappropriate now. But like Long Duck Dong was probably one of my first like favorite characters in comedy yeah. and and not because of like anything other than he was like a comedic genius he was so he funny was so in that funny. movie his, yeah it's so good his timing was and, great it's like just unfortunate that it was a caricature yeah. of a culture you know like i know and yeah that's such a killer yeah. right like ugh. but if you really look at the movies all of it is like a character of culture yeah. Right. So it's making fun of white people too. So we can go there with that. And like, it was just making fun. It was like tongue in cheek at all of it, everything. So people were doing the foreign exchange students, but then you had the creepy white grandparents, you know, and it just, all of it was like what was happening in the eighties and the early nineties. Like it just was so spot on. Oh, it's so great that you had that social experience and and I, I personally also had that connection with my friends from talking about cinema that we watched on the weekends throughout the week and kind of creating that kind of social network around a shared experience. Yeah. And everybody gets something different out of it, right? So I feel like for our children, yours is younger than my youngest, but they don't have, it's just not as easily accessible. It's just not there. So Thank you for your show because we do have to show them. Like I remember introducing my daughter to Spirited Away, who was produced by Mm -hmm. a friend of mine. And I said, I know this is good. I know this is a good show. I know you're going to love this movie. It's amazing. And, you know, right now they're so caught up in TikTok and the 30 seconds of it all. And there's no like tension span. Yeah. And it's just so unfortunate. So you have to take them back because there's nothing like if they open up the 
Apple TV or whatever it is, it's not just like readily available for them. You have to you have to walk them there and go, yeah. hey, watch There's this. Check this. So out. many options that like it's easy for them to just use go back to YouTube rather than that's right. The options are yeah. overwhelming, right? You now. know the, yeah. the I recorded with Maggie McKay who relaunched Vidiots and their new location in Eagle Rock with a theater, and she talks a lot about how creating an event and a space for kids to go and they're coming. And I just love that of, you know, introducing cinema to our kids in a way that it's special so that they seek it out and start discovering their own taste. And And they appreciate it. Speaking of appreciating it, when did you discover that cinema was a craft? Was it in tune with your working in cinema or was there a moment? I mean... So I can take it back to going in the back of my dad's pickup truck and going to watch a movie that I fell in love with was amazing. So that was like my first like, okay, this is fantastic. Whatever's happening here is amazing. And then, you know, I started working at four and a half, five years old for then my parents to say, oh, do you want to go see your movie in the theater? And it was like, oh, sure. I guess, but I lived it. But there was something about that to know like all the hard work we put in and we had worked so hard for so many months and then to watch it and watch the finished product. And the finished product isn't always like up to your expectations, yeah. right? Like it's not always like the experience is better than the finished yeah. product. So there was always that kind of like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Yeah. But I don't know, the sound the smell, the feeling, the vibe. It's just, I'm so glad we're back. I'm so glad we're back. Yeah. And did you, I mean, it sounds like you were able to continually suspend disbelief when you went to the movie theaters, even though you had an understanding of how it came together. Yeah. Because, you know, when there's a good project, you can get lost in the project, right? You, you fall into the story Uh and you buy into the story and you're, you're, just like anybody else, I'm as big of a fan and I fall into good cinema. So I'm not jaded in that respect at all. Thank yeah. God. No, I can just really appreciate. Like, give me a Wes Anderson movie and I will be glued to the screen for hours. You know, I'll, as long as he wants to produce stuff, I'll be watching. Yeah. Like, you I was know. talking about him with yeah. a friend last night that he is such a singular visionary. You know, like, you know, a Wes Anderson film. Oh, yeah. You immediately. The minute the trailer starts, you're like, yes, there's another one. <laughs> I'm so excited for Asteroid City. That's coming out soon. I know. I know. I know. I'm like, I got goosebumps right now. I got goosebumps. I love, I love him. I'm, and he's so young. And I'm just like, ah, I want to crawl inside of that brain. Yeah. I just like want to be in that yeah, mind. We, we were talking that. about how you know, there's that app, that social media app that you can Wes Anderson-fy your images. Oh, you What? You You can, can. and we were like, shouldn't he get profit from that? Because that's his mind that you're, you know, make like you're copying. And so we were taught, we having a long conversation about like who owns that because it's not really IP because it's style, right? Right. But you know what? You bring up an interesting topic because, okay, first of all, A, I hope he is getting some sort of royalty from that. And then B, people have been contacting me about buying my AI likeness, which is a whole thing. I'm already just like digesting AI as a thing, right? I've even used it. I use it. I like it. I get it. I see where it's dangerous. I see where it's appreciated. I see all of it. But then they start saying like, well, buy your own AI likeness. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, this is something I have to think about. Yeah. Well, the question is like, 
can you just use me to work? <laughs> like, like, well, no, listen, if I can stay at home in my pajamas and then as long as we get like, you know, final approvals, we're good. But it's kind of like that yes. Black Mirror. I just started, you watch yeah, Black that Mirror? first one. Yeah, that first one. And I just was like, I had to turn it off after that. I was like, okay, too much. Too much. Too close to home. Yeah. yeah too realistic. Could very well happen. Yeah. You know, I've been creating in the new media space now for almost a decade. And pre-pandemic, I wrote a short about a woman who goes on an industrial and gets a volumetric capture and doesn't realize that she's becoming the personification of a like an Alexa or a Siri. And it's like really crazy when you see your imagination becoming true, you know? I know. I know. In this yeah. lifetime. And you know what's so funny too is so last night I went out and I lost my phone for a quick minute. And we immediately went online and like just canceled and shut everything yeah. down, right? And then I found the phone. It's fine. It turned everything back on. And I'm saying to my daughter, I'm like, do you know how lucky you are? That would have been like 15 phone calls to cancel it all, huh. right? Then 15 phone calls to turn it all back on. And then waiting three weeks for it to arrive yeah. in the mail. So technology is this thing of like, it's everything and it's like the demise all in one yeah. big. It's, you know, it has bow. the opportunity to be so good, but just as good, it has the opportunity to be equally as bad. <laughs> so bad. So, so bad. bad. Like, yes. you know, I knew yeah. every phone number in my head, right? Like yeah. I remember my first yeah. job, I worked in development at Sony and I was an assistant. So I would answer phones a lot. And I knew everybody's phone number. I would just be like, you know, and, and be able to just, you know, my whole family, my friends, half of the industry, I had it all in my head. And now I'm like, I know three you know, like three people. If you're lucky, like you're, you're lucky you know three. I don't, I know my own. <clears throat> I don't even know my kid's phone number. Like as sad as that is to say, I don't even know theirs. Like if you put a gun to my head, I'd be like, uh. I don't know what yeah it's funny because i realized that i got locked out of my home and this was back in this was a while ago when cell phones were just kind of still a flip phone and i remember getting locked out of my house and going to my neighbor and going i'm locked out i need to call a locksmith and she was like just call one of your family members i was like i don't know their phone number and she was like you don't know anybody's phone number i was like I don't because they're like number one. Remember, it was yeah. like you would just select number one or number two on the flip phone and they just call that contact. So you're right. I mean, I remember my first childhood phone number and I probably remember a few of my friends, but we just like dumb ourselves down. We're not exercising know. that part of our brain anymore, right? Let's hope we're exercising it in other I know. ways. It's, like, it's, we're using it in different ways for sure. But also when I first moved to Los Angeles from New York, it was like the age of Google Maps, but I tried really hard not to use it so I wouldn't get lost if my phone died. Like, I wouldn't know how to get home, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing that you say that. Yeah. I use navigation even when I know exactly where I'm going. Yeah. Like, I have just become dependent on it. I just turn it on because why not? We just have it. And maybe an accident occurs, and so it's going to take yeah. me on a detour. Yeah. I use it for traffic data for the most part, but I really try not to look at it. Yeah, no, I don't look at it, but she's loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> Whether she's right yeah. or wrong, she's loud. So let's get us back to movies. It's so interesting how technology is affecting our viewing patterns. And before I move us on to talking about 
our kids, let's move into your high school, post high school years. You were working in the industry. How did that relationship with cinema kind of grow and change as you got older? I mean, I think I'm just like every other person. I don't think it affected it at all, except maybe the appreciation. Maybe the appreciation on another level is there. But like, I remember nine and a half weeks coming out and being like, oh my God, what am I watching? (laughs) Right? That was so cutting edge. Karate Kid, huge. Like, what are we doing here? This is amazing. This is so inspirational, giving me life. And I just think that it's just weird. Like you, you spend so much time making these movies and then you watch other people's work and you, you kind of wonder like what went into that? What was that about? But at the end of the day, it's really just you being a viewer, right? And you really just like enjoying and getting lost in the moment of the story. Yeah. And luckily cinema can do that. It just sucks you and holds you right there. And when they do it right, it is just, it's amazing. And how do you think you developed your personal taste? Well, you know, I had a really wild childhood, so I was a little bit of a banshee. So I just like whatever was shocking to me kind of grabbed my attention. But then again, like Mary Poppins, one of my all-time favorite movies ever, still will be to this day. And I'm talking the original. (laughs) So... I don't know, because I come from this like European background. My parents were not from America, but yet I was like a product of my environment growing up here in Southern California during the 70s and 80s, which is a little bit wild. It's a little bit of a wild child mentality. And so anything shocking kind of was what grabbed my attention. Do you find in different times in your life that you gravitated towards any specific movies or type of films? I always loved all things like pop culture, like what was ever relating to me and my my age. And then I feel like I sort of fell off the radar of it because I just was working so much. So when I came back to it, it was things like American History X, like loved mm-hmm. it. Things that really touch you and really kind of like, you're like, yes, I just experienced that the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is something that needs to be addressed. It was always things like that. It was things that like touched on the nose of current events. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's it's the same with me with books. Like I don't like to read things that are fictional. I like nonfiction. I want to know like truth. I want to know truth. I want to hear ideas. I want to have insights. I don't want to hear made up stories. So I guess that's my niche is like anything that was touching on real topics. And did you have a feel, a push and pull between what you were making and what you were watching? Yes. I had to embrace my job as that I love the process of it. I love the idea of producing a project, something coming to fruition and happening. And I knew that not everything I was going to be cast in was going to be like my ideal movie. It it just wasn't. And that's not, life doesn't just hand you buckets of lemons. Like, you know, you don't get lemonade. You have to get your lemons first. For me, it was always like, oh, what it could have been, whatever. But the appreciation for the process of making a film is kind of where it laid in, in my heart and like where I was passionate about it. So whether it turned out to be the best project or not, that wasn't it. It was about the appreciation of how they make it happen. I recently got my first screenplay created 
and I'm like oh, you pushing and pulling because you know it, it's so great. It's a big milestone as a writer to see something you created be made, but also like the quality in which it came to life. You know, I knew when I sold it to this group that it was not high art. You know, and so there's that push and pull between the things that you're attracted, like for me at least, of like I'm so excited and also so disappointed all at the same time. You know. It's like putting your baby in somebody else's yeah, hands. I totally understand now why Quentin Tarantino like took the helm of his screenplays when he was like, you didn't visualize it the way I visualized it in my head, you know? Yeah, but it's yeah. true. And when you're that passionate, it's important. And I'm just wrapping up a documentary that I've been producing and we felt the same way. We didn't take any outside financing and we've been shooting for four years and we were like, no, we have a vision. And we want it to look like this. And we are not going to stray from it. We are not going to do anything. And it's like the one time, the one project. And it feels really good. Yeah. It feels like oh, it's, there's something sensational about it that you like. Because you do. You sell yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I mean, right? like, we sell out to you, like, And there's like, a, you kind of have to, to, to make a yeah. living to like move yeah, forward. Yeah, you want to eat. Yeah, exactly. And, you know. Yeah. But also, like, how awesome that you, one, got to make a documentary to your standard. There is this video that I show younger, like, college-age kids a lot when I'm, I'm in a position to teach. And I watch a lot for myself called The Gap. And it's a quote from the, from This American Life. And it talks about how there's this gap between your taste and what you're able to create when you're beginning your career, in your career, and that you have to create an immense amount of work to close the gap. And it's very few people yeah. who stay with it long enough to be able to match their vision. It's so easy to be like, I'm never going to get there. And I don't want to make stuff I'm not proud of because of your ego and all of the voices in your head. But like how amazing to be not yeah, to be at that place where you you've not created enough work that you are able to kind of sit in it and make something that matches your vision so congratulations on that thank you you know what for me i know a lot of people love like um cause and effect right or they like they like end results i really like yeah. the journey like for me, life is, I've found that the happiness is in yeah. the journey. Like when I finish a project and I like cash the check, I'm bummed. <laughs> like everybody else is like, put it in the bank. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want it to be over. I like the yeah. journey. I can find my happiness there. With that being said, I also hate the unknown. There is something with the journey because that's where, that's where it's at, yeah. right? It's not the beginning yeah. and the end. It's the journey. That's why I love writing and rewriting and editing and just being in the story for, you know, a long time. Such a it's, talent. It's, you know, I don't know if I'm talented at it, but I certainly enjoy it. Well, you must be. I sold something. <laughs> but yeah, I just finished my first novel and I'm so excited to dive back in and edit and get it into a second draft. Do you drive yourself crazy with that? Like, can you, do you like, see, like for me, I feel like I'd be like awake at night, like rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. So I like had to, to get it out, like the beginning to the end, the character arc and journey. I needed to like, get the whole story out. So I gave myself permission for it to just be bad so I could get the whole story out. And now I'm excited to go in and like, I see where there's areas for the characters that need more or amping or some additional kind of moments and scenes for them. And that same with screenwriting is like, 
I have a story and an itch and I need to get the whole thing out. So I call it like my vomit draft. And then I like let go of perfection for that moment and then kind of just keep going back until I find it. And sometimes it's completely rewriting it. Sometimes it's just tweaking, but that's how I approach it. I love that concept. It reminds me. So I used to take acting class from this woman named Leslie Kahn, who's super amazing. And one of her first exercises would always be dare to suck. That's great. It kind of reminds me of that, right? Like you just throw it out there and just be as bad as you can be so that everything from there on out is an improvement. It's so easy to get stuck in trying to be your best self. And I think humanity is ugly in a lot of ways. You know, it's in the imperfections that create the art. So especially in this, you know, woman against the machine is just how, you know, the cracks, the cracks in our voice, you know, that allow yeah, us where that light shines to through, be right? beautiful yeah are you able to talk about your doc I want to know more but I understand yeah okay yes so it started out as a documentary on Baywatch uh-huh. and how Baywatch became such a phenomenon before the internet and how it was able to influence like trends worldwide before the internet and that really it was really one of the first shows to do that and why like why do people like latch onto it. What was this thing about Baywatch? And in the process of making it, it turned into something else. And I had been pitching a show about Baywatch to all the networks. Everybody wanted it to be like this reality thing. And I was like, "Ah, it's not it. It's not it. It's not it. It's not a reality thing. And then I was speaking with my friend who was the director and Matthew Felker. And he said, why not a documentary? We were discussing documentaries because we're both huge Mm -hmm. fans. And I was like, that's it. That's what it is. It's that because it's a modern day version of Baywatch. And so we reshot, we did water work. We've done, we have all the act, everybody's, everybody's involved. And it just looks gorgeous. It looks like what Baywatch should have looked. It's a serious look at Baywatch, if that makes any sense, because there is a serious side to Baywatch. It generated billions and billions of dollars. So there is a serious side to it. And there were actual people involved in the show. So you get to meet these actors and you get to re be reintroduced to what they went through, like having to have the stigma of Baywatch attached to them Yeah, and living up to that and what that feels like. And it doesn't feel good all the time. And sometimes it feels amazing. Mm. So it's really Matt, our director, took the time to get to know all the actors, which I love and appreciate about him. And so it's this deep dive into who made Baywatch happen and why it was this like phenomenon. And it's funny because it comes at a time where Baywatch was made when the Berlin Wall was coming down. We were having the riots in LA and all of this stuff, right? So it was escapism. Uh People just didn't want to think, right? They wanted something pretty to look at. And right when we started shooting, the pandemic happened. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? In all honesty, yes, this screws our budget. This screws us up completely with our schedule. But it's perfect because when we come out of it, people are going to want escapism once again. And so that's where we're at right now. People don't want to be too serious right now, I don't think, either. People want to go back to that time when when you get that feeling, that smell, that like sound, and you're like, it takes you to a place. And that's what this does. And is it in the format of a film or a TV show? It's a four-part series, each being an hour long. So all the streamers are, we're in talks with all the streamers right now. So we have to figure that part out, but that's, you know, 
that's the fun part. Yeah. You know, negotiations take a while, all of that, but it'll be out within the next year. And I think people really like that escapism. It just takes you to a place like that you just remember, yeah. you know what I mean? And even if you weren't a Baywatch fan, you're going to find something in this that you do love because like all the latest surf competitions, oh, where all our, our footage is like modern today, what it would look like, what Baywatch would look like if it was made today. Probably. Yeah. The remake films felt a, a little sort campy. Of. So it, it it wasn't well received. I started surfing in New York and I like part of me moving out here was because I was like, I think surfing with snow on the beach is not right. <laughs> like it's not how you're supposed <laughs> to do it. So I really fell in love with the culture, the beach culture and how in the water, everyone is the same it's yeah. classless. And I love women in the water because we sprinkle fairy dust and anti-anger. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's like a Zen. It's yeah. a Zen place, yeah. right? It's not to be corny or cheesy, but it is. It just really is. Yeah. So Kelly Slater sat down with us for some extensive interviews and it's hard to pin him down, but I think like he always was embarrassed that he was part of Baywatch because, you know, all of his surfing buddies and these are athletes. These are big athletes all over the world are making fun of him. And I think he's finally at a place where he can look back and it wasn't all that bad. Like it wasn't so bad and it was kind of funny. And then we have footage of like now and what it should have looked like on the show. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm a big fan of his. He's like an ageless, amazing athlete. He really brought the sport into middle America in a way that he really did. It wouldn't have happened. He really did. And he like, he doesn't age. And although with his age, I do see him growing like spiritually and intellectually and all of that. And it's so fun to watch. Like, it's so fun to watch people start somewhere and blossom into this force of nature because he is. And I think like surf cinema is its own genre. That's pretty amazing. And when I first started surfing, I had guy friends really that would take me out and they made me watch all the seventies films about surf culture. So I would understand how to behave in the water properly and, and the, the etiquette. etiquette, all of that. And I so, I'm so thankful it introduced me like to endless summer and to some of those classic films. And, and I definitely like that during the pandemic, I actually rewatched Baywatch from the beginning. Oh, you I did? Because oh. I was pregnant in like the end of the pandemic. I was trying to get pregnant kind of through it. So I was on all of these hormones and I wasn't as comfortable getting in the water after getting pregnant because I didn't want to risk anything. So I was like anything to be vicariously back on the beach and in the water, you know. Oh my God, that's amazing. So yeah, I definitely, I went, I went back through some of those, some of the early episodes. It was really fun to do that and I was thinking about how I wrote a series that I haven't really pitched much yet about a surf camp because I did a surf camp in Bali when I was needing a break from my job at Sundance. And it like really changed me and how international it was. I was the only American really in the camp. And, oh, that's yeah. amazing. That sounds so it fantastic. Awesome. Sometimes I just need to get away from American culture. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> we all do. I, you know, it's funny that you say a surf camp. I took, I used to be a Girl Scout troop leader. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, I was. But I took the girls, I took the troop to right at the border of Tijuana and California. 
and we camped on the sand and in the morning they had surf lessons and then we come back and like sleep in the tents and I'll take that camping over like going to the mountains any day like it was bliss like it was honestly I woke up I was like this is heaven I'm in heaven I could live like this the view yeah. <laughs> right like who cares what you're living in the view is what it's all yeah. about so yeah surf camp and I'm about to put my daughter into one really well. how, so this is a good time yeah, to transition in, into your to your kiddos how how many kids do you have I only have two I have two girls one is 25 and one is oh, wow. 11 yeah only two I mean that's not only one is well, a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's this like entire lifespan between yeah. them so it's like they've both been raised as single yeah. children it feels like because everybody goes oh wow you sure waited and I'm like yeah well you don't always plan everything. Right. First thing yeah. happen. But also like parenting is so different, like from 25 years ago to now. Well, you know what it is? And then part of it like isn't. So my first one, it was like Pokemon, My Little Ponies, Miley Cyrus, Hillary Duff. And my little one is exactly the same. I'm like, wait a minute. We still have My Little Ponies in the garage. We still have Pokemon. We still have all this stuff. And what was old is new yeah. again. And they're, I swear to God, they're living the same exact childhood in different, in different like eras. Yeah. But it's the same shows. It's the same thing. She loves Hannah Montana. She loves Zoe 101. And she watches it. Anytime she's got the TV on, it's some old show that my oldest used to watch. And then they talk about it. And I'm like, this is weird. That is like to, to relive yeah. that. That's really yeah. interesting. Is she not connecting with what's out for her right now? No. I feel like she thinks it's corny, but I don't understand how she doesn't find those shows corny, but she does find some of the new stuff corny. And at the end of the day, they're like on TikTok and it's this fast paced thing. So basically, I'm just like, let's go outside. Yeah. Let's surf camp. <laughs> surf camp. Let's go outside. Just let's surf camp. Let's go to the beach. Yeah. Have you taken, I mean, the movies that were in, theater like I would say 10-15 years ago I think we're better than what's in theaters now yes except like so she comes to me the other day and she says can I watch Mean Girls and I was like I don't know I'm not sure and then I was like well I trust you if it's inappropriate turn it off and then she comes to me she's like it was inappropriate <laughs> it was definitely inappropriate and I was like okay so what was inappropriate about it and we go through the rundown of it and I'm like yep so it's, but the Freaky Fridays are still okay. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff is still, I always just kind of revert her back to the old stuff, but some of the old stuff is inappropriate too in a different yeah. way, right? So like, we're like stuck with this rock and hard place of like, what's acceptable and what's not. And I think basically you have to trust your kid. Yeah. You have to trust that they, they've got their morals and they know what's socially acceptable and what's not and what they're saying is not okay. And you have to trust that they're navigating it properly. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing that she, she came to you was like that. I was uncomfortable with this. It was totally, it was totally inappropriate. She was making out with the guy on her bed. <laughs> oh no. Oh yeah. No, we don't do that. Yeah. We don't do that's, that. We're boys in the you're, you're a good mom. Wow. I need to learn from you. Listen, you just love yeah. them. All you can do is love them and be honest with them. And I am no, I am no special parent. I just love them with all my guts and we talk about everything. Yeah. One of my earlier guests, Emily Ziff, she has a daughter who's maybe I think 12, like around the same age and they watch Riverdale together, which is 
pretty advanced, but they go through and talk about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and can like prepare her for what's going to come in high school, you know? Yeah. So I think that's really interesting to use cinema and television to have those conversations of what's appropriate and what's not. And did they face the right consequences when they were punished? Did the parents parent them right? Did they ask the right questions? She told me that she asked about the parenting. I was like, oh, that's really self-reflective. Yeah, that might be a little too deep for me. <laughs> I don't want to know. Yeah. I mean, listen, they did just showed this film, the sex education film in yeah. school. And a lot of the parents were completely taken aback and appalled and were like, this is way too graphic. This is way too, they talk about anal. They talk about all of it, right? And I was like, but the difference is, is that these kids grow up in a world of social media. They grow up with the internet. So there's porn, right? Like they, there's stuff that we weren't exposed yeah. to. It's not at our, it's at their fingertips that we weren't necessarily watching. Yeah. Like I only saw porn because I was babysitting for some neighbors down the street and they left it in the VCR. <laughs> Yeah. So that that was my introduction. It wasn't like I clicked on the wrong yeah. link. Mine was more like um, Skinamax, right? Exactly, right? Exactly. And all the guys trying to get yes. the signal to work so that, <laughs> yeah, getting into a hotel room so you could get it. Yeah, so it's like every generation is so different, but you have to speak to them the way they are learning. Yeah. And that's, you know, it can be out of your wheelhouse because it's not the way you grew yeah. up. So you kind of have to adapt to like what they're exposed to. And it's deep. Yeah. I'm a single mom by choice. I was in my late thirties when I was trying to get pregnant. I'm now in my early forties, but I, uh, you know, it's my one and only, it's just the two of us, but I don't know what I'm going to do about the porn conversation. What's going to be in his life. You know, like, do I let him watch really good seventies art house porn so he can understand <laughs> like what's not like what's okay and what's not okay you know like the difference between love and like yeah. pleasure you know and just say sex is gonna happen yeah women don't actually really no, like that's that. a fake <laughs> orgasm this is a real orgasm yeah, yeah. watch yeah. goop you know watch the sex episode yeah yes well you know it's funny because having one is great i mean I, honestly like one and done is is probably ideal. I just was young when I had my first one and then older when I had my second one. And I wanted, I was hoping for a boy for my second one, but I got to tell you, God gave me a girl for a reason. I know everything always happens for a reason. Those are tough conversations you have to have. Yeah. It's tough. And it's like in a loving, in the most beautiful way, just so uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And so awkward. Yeah. They look at you, yeah. you know, it's a boy looking at you in a certain way and you're going to do a great job. It's tough. tough. Yeah. That's where I'm hoping I can use storytelling so I can have conversations outside of ourselves. You know, it's not in the moment about our behavior, but it's more about, was that good? Like, did you feel comfortable watching how they were together? And I think that's kind of what's problematic about a lot of the earlier teen content is kind of how the boy girl dynamic is. Right. And like, oh, if he pulls your hair and he hurts you, it's because he likes you or he has a crush yeah. on you and you like fall into that, like, this is acceptable. Yeah. yeah. I spoke about the John Hughes films and some of them I watched back and I'm like, he made great movies, so I'm not blaming him. It was our, it was our generation, but the like drugging the girls, cutting their hair off, <laughs> date raping them. Like it was so acceptable yeah. back then. And so like nonchalant. Yeah. Like even stealing their like, underwear, what? right? Like, yeah. That, like, I, 
and sharing. Yeah. It's unacceptable. So it's on us to make the content. This is where we change. Yeah. The cycle, we have right? to make stories that things. show more respectful relationships, like true vulnerability yeah. and like how sexy that is, you know? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the relationship between you and your oldest. I have another guest that was on has a, an older son and, and two young babies. And he talks about how his son has introduced him to stuff now that maybe he wouldn't have watched himself. So I'm curious if you have that with your daughter. We do. We constantly are texting about, she works a lot. She's a lot like me. So there's not a lot of screen time, but we do. And we have the same kind of taste. So Fleischman, oh. do you watch Fleischman is in trouble? Oh right. So I'm like, did you see it's coming out? There's new. And she's like, when, when? So we, we definitely say, are you watching this? Are you watching that? And we usually tend to have the same taste and the same weird sense of humor. I think it's weird because I do think her attention span is shorter. It just is. It's she's a product of a 90s 2000 kid. Like she just her attention span is a little bit shorter and tighter. So she's more likely to try to catch a reality show than she is to sit down and watch a full length feature. Yeah. And we can't blame them for that because that's what we've created this world we've created for them. But she loves Wes Anderson too. We're both like so excited and she likes artsy stuff but honestly she just works really yeah. hard and I just admire her for that she's just always working and works really hard and is super independent and makes me super what, proud is she so, in the industry she is in fashion okay. so she does a lot of e-commerce and photography and sales for fashion designers okay, cool yeah, super cool. Industry way cooler too. than both my kids are way cooler than I ever yeah. was. Yeah. So she's honestly more into fashion and the earth. Yeah, did then Did you see that movie, movie that was at Cannes, Angle of Sadness? Yes. Okay. Yes. We've watched it. We've watched it. We've talked about it. I watched it and I was like, You have to watch this movie. Go on. The first act of it is like whew, happy, sad, happy. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's this. And then the being on the boat, it just was like all full circle. Yeah. yeah. No, I loved it. I'm going to bring us towards our close, which is if you were to recommend a film for my son to fall in love with cinema, and it can be at any age. So it's not like it has to be his first movie. What film do you think I absolutely should introduce him to? So I always revert back to childhood stuff because I think that some of the childhood stuff is dark. And it touches on everybody's emotions, right? So I'll always go back to the Mary Poppins. I'll always go back to Lion mm -hmm. King. Lion King, I showed, I bought my daughter every VHS copy. I took her to the live performance. There's just something it's like the circle of life thing is just so, it's so relevant and it's so important. And I, I don't think people understand like this life is so delicate and so short. And it can end at any moment. So we have to really relish in the time that we're together. So I like those kind of movies where you start off crying. I love Peter Pan. Like, oh my God, get out of here with Peter Pan was my obsession when I was younger. I wanted to be Peter Pan. I love all of the fantasy where it's like it gives you a harsh reality or something that maybe you it's not a reality to you, but it could be. And then it puts you into reality and then it takes you to fantasy. Yeah. Because it's like this hope. It's this thing of hope yeah. and imagination and keeping your spirit going. Yeah. Yeah. That, I loved yeah. Mary Poppins when I was growing up. 
too. Loved it. I loved all the remakes too. I, don't get me wrong. They were great, but there's nothing like the original. Yeah. I mean, Dick Van Dyke. So tap dancing and making I, music. I, like, I love the Dick. I used to watch the Dick Van Dyke show as a kid. Like who, what kid? I used to watch Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke. I loved all of that. Like that cool old school, clean energy and clean comedy. Clean comedy and like talent. Like they were really yeah, talented, I mean. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like they really cared about their craft. Yeah. They really did. And they were probably all in school and probably like always honing their craft. Yeah. It's a different generation. It's a different, it's a different vibe. Yeah. I do think the kids are pretty craftful now. They care, even though they show it in weird ways. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just different ways, right? I think, yeah, they're impressive. I'm really, I really love the new generation of kids growing up right now. I'm really impressed with them. I praise them and I encourage them because they're so much better. They're just better and they're better humans. And I have faith in it. I have faith that there's going to be change. Yeah, I think that like plastic culture is kind of gone. It's gone, right? Whereas like today, it's okay to have a mental health issue. It's okay to show that you're upset or sad and have the whole rainbow of feelings. Yes. And it's welcomed. Yeah. And that's what's beautiful. Yeah. I know I saw this thing and it was it's so corny and cheesy, but it's so true. It says people don't fake depression, they fake happiness. Yeah. Right. And I, it really hit me because I was like, because that's it. That's where it's yeah. at is that people are faking this like happiness when really things suck sometimes. Yeah. And like, if you can acknowledge the suck, it actually passes. Well, this is yeah. such a beautiful conversation. Thank you. So nice meeting so, you. I'm so glad. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to, to meet. And so wonderful. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to like and subscribe. New episodes release every Wednesday. And leave a comment and let me know which movie you think I should show my son. Until next time, take care. <laughs>